Welcome back to 5WH. I'm Joe, a former security analyst, and I'm going to continue bringing you foreign affairs events from off the beaten track. We'll be sticking to the 5WH format, which is what, who, where, when, why, and how. These are often considered to be the uh, sort of core questions to journalistic uh, information gathering, and I figure they're a good basis for all of us to learn something about what's going on. What I'd like you to do is sit back, relax, enjoy, and if you do all of those things, like, follow, subscribe, etc. Right, without further ado, let's crack on. So I'm going to jump in now with our what. Russia held uh, a series of regional and local elections across the country, covering approximately a third of administrative districts. In total, 78,000 positions were up for grabs, and sadly but unsurprisingly, all 20 of the governorships that were available were taken by candidates uh, closely affiliated with the regime. And all of their results were sufficiently high as to avoid the need for any runoff elections or second rounds. Despite this, however, opposition parties appear to have gained ground, uh, seizing majorities in the regional parliaments in Tomsk, Tambov and Novosibirsk. All of this in the face of widespread reports of electoral fraud, um, although I feel I must point out that the regime has, naturally enough, denied all of these reports. I think given the circumstances, any success for opposition parties is noteworthy, so we're going to have a bit of a deeper look. So moving on to the who then, I've got a few uh, people, individuals and groups to cover here, and some of this is a bit counterintuitive from a Western perspective, so please bear with me. So we're going to jump in first and sort of talk about the opposition groups in the Russian election. Um, unlike Republicans and Democrats in the States or Conservatives, Labour and Lib Dems in the UK, um, even the opposition groups, the official opposition parties in Russia are essentially in cahoots with Putin's regime. It's a system called managed democracy, the idea being that through manipulation of the media and the voting environment, you can reduce the odds of opposition people getting into power by denying them access to a party machine. Um, so it's a bit of a mess. So what we really need to consider here is the non-systematic opposition, if you will. So the networks, individual candidates spread throughout the country, standing individually for their positions, but with the tacit understanding that they are anti-regime, as opposed to, for example, communist candidates who are widely seen in local uh, parliaments to ally themselves with uh, the United Russia Party, which we'll come on to later. Um, the opposition also has a series of other issues as affiliated with it. Because of this uh, systematic slash non-systematic divide, in addition to simply the party badge or rosette people are wearing, there can be a tendency to sweep all of the non-systematic opposition into a single group, uh, which, depending on the uh, political views of the person observing it, can be observed as either a far-right group or radically pro-Western uh, liberals. In fact, I think we need to consider that neither of these is the truth. It is simply that, due to the nature of the system, everyone who is not in cahoots with the regime is gathering together essentially for survival and strength in numbers. And 
that does sometimes make for some somewhat unlikely bedfellows with far left and far right and you know centrists attending the same events because they're united by the anti-regime sentiment what we can take from that though is that any uh, vote for a candidate should not be taken necessarily to endorse their individual political leanings but um, more a reflection on the voters view against the regime so i can't really discuss opposition groups without mentioning alexander navalny um really key character in these elections despite the fact he's been in an induced coma for the last three weeks due to the russian regime trying to poison him with a nerve agent um he's a prolific anti-corruption blogger uh, formerly a political party member currently sort of existing in his own little fringe um, and he is arguably the central character in this non-systematic opposition movement um, he's routinely harassed by the regime he's uh, suffered poisoning attempts before he's routinely uh, victimized by intimidation and other similar measures um, and tellingly he was flying back from Siberia where most of the opposition wins were at the time he was poisoned so we'll probably address this a little bit more later uh, we've also got a couple of other key characters worth knowing about uh, we've got Andrei Tatiev again apologies for my pronunciation um, he's a key Navalny ally and now uh, a newly elected council member for Tomsk I've also got Sergei Boyko uh, the likely winner of a seat in Novosibirsk although some of the election results are still pending clarification it's looking good for him so now we get to address the regime um, we may as well start at the top let's jump in with Putin honestly if you've stumbled across this podcast knowing what its tags are I probably don't need to say much in the way of an introduction to Putin but I'm in a belt and braces mood so I'll rattle through some key details Vladimir Putin is the current president of the Russian Federation having first been elected president in 1999 and having remained in power if not necessarily in position to the present day briefly served as prime minister between 2008 and 2012 in order to skirt Russia's constitutional term limits but Dmitry Mendevedev's presidency is widely considered to have been firmly under Putin's thumb indeed Mendevedev did not seek re-election for any second term he just stepped down and allowed Putin to reassume the office probably a pretty safe assumption there Putin remains allegedly above politics being not directly affiliated with any single party However, the party of the regime, as you may call it, as United Russia, um, it has no other leader and it is de facto Putin's. An interesting point with United Russia is that it has no clear party platform. It's nominally conservative. It's pro the Russian Orthodox Church. It's, you know, rabidly homophobic in terms of its policy platform. But its method of winning elections is essentially to put a, a, uh, a rosette metaphorically on a given candidate or politician that is supportive of the regime and then use their media and political machine in order to get that person elected with that considered their public policy positions should always be viewed through this lens it's not necessarily about what they want to enact as what will get them people elected there's not necessarily a connection between the mandate they seek and what they'll do in power it's also worth touching on that uh, a party called new people has recently been 
allowed to come into being with the Kremlin's support. It is unclear what effects this will have, but it appears likely that it's an effort to diversify the Kremlin's support base, given that unbiased reporting would strongly suggest that United Russia is highly unpopular and its electoral victories are maintained primarily through fraud. So now we get on to the when. Um, generally, elections in Russia are single-day events. However, this election is the first to have taken place over a course of days from the 11th to the 13th of September 2020. The aim of this was to reduce crowd size and the associated COVID-19 threat that you'd get from large gatherings of people queuing. Um, while this may be a perfectly sensible reason in other countries, given Russia's less than stellar reputation for free and fair elections, uh, this has unsurprisingly been uh, accompanied by a massively increased series of reports relating to voter fraud. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this kind of goes without saying, but it will tie into what we're about to discuss in a minute. So where? Well, as the largest country by landmass on Earth, if you throw a dart at a map, you're more than likely to hit something relevant to this, uh, this podcast. However, if you want to see a graphical representation of where all the elections were held, I can direct you to Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty. Uh, I was going to cite Wikipedia and then the, you know, the ghost of university lecturers haunted me and told me not to. Um, it's worth noting more specifically that the gains for the opposition were primarily further east around Siberia and it was flying out of, I think, Tomsk where Navalny was poisoned. Um, so there's probably not too much of a stretch to see some correlation and causation relationship there between where Navalny was operating and where the opposition has had most success in these elections. It would have been interesting had he been granted a further three weeks to campaign whether we would be seeing a wider series of opposition successes but that is pure conjecture on my part. So now we're coming on to the why and this is a bit of an open-ended uh, issue with these elections. So I've tried to subdivide it into a few sub-questions uh, although I can't honestly suggest an answer for all of them. So the first one is, why do we get these results? The regime is reported to be extremely unpopular, yet United Russia or other Putin-leaning independents routinely win majorities in elections. Firstly, I think we need to go back to what we were considering when we were looking at the party itself. United Russia and the regime in general is ultra-broad church. What this means, really, is that it appeals directly to the non-ideological Russian voter. Primarily, I'd argue its ideology, as far as it has one, is simply the acquisition and retention of power, rather than any particular policy platform as we may expect from perhaps a Western political party. This uh, focus on power is then backed up by the state domination of the media. Um, we might associate perhaps the BBC, for example, as being state media. In Russia, the atmosphere is very different. Any opposition media is likely to be shut down uh, with or without legal recourse uh, in pretty short order. Journalists are routinely beaten and murdered. Um, and what this means is that even if you do have a sort of pseudo-independent media agency, they will self-censor in order to avoid these consequences. So, again, people may not be fond of the regime or united russia but there isn't really an alternative and there is no permission structure to grant them that um, on the other hand however uh, opposed to the managed democracy 
it might be worth considering the effects of poisoning Navalny. So it may be worth considering, again, purely as a point of conjecture, that the area in which Navalny was poisoned, i.e. Siberia, is also the region in which his opposition movement appears to have gained most uh, momentum. Um, too early to see if that will carry on any further, but it is an interesting point to consider. Following this, then, we've got the question of, well, why, why did Putin, uh, uh, you know, kind of permit the rise of the opposition in these areas? And the, the short answer is he didn't. Uh, it's a common thought among a lot of sort of pseudo-political observers in the West that uh, they place Putin on this pedestal as a person who is all-powerful. Bluntly, he's not. Um, the Russian state is highly centralised in that regard, particularly with the media, media environment. And this election highlights the limits of centralised power against specific and clustered local activism. So what were these opposition parties seeking to achieve, apart from you know the acquisition of seats and power itself? Um, I think realistically they're trying to demonstrate staying power. Um, a key thing with providing a, a narrative that allows you to gain further political support is the idea that you will persist beyond the immediate instance and in the face of uh, pressure. I would argue there's not much greater uh, means of demonstrating this than having your leader poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent and then continuing to then sweep up an electoral victory in the region in which that assassination attempt took place. Um, and also, generally, they seek to provide a, a highly visible alternative to the regime so that people who are potentially sick of the corruption, the infighting, the, the sort of closed political system in Russia, genuinely believe they may have an option and may then turn out to vote in future. Which is ultimately why this matters. Next year we have the uh, parliamentary election across the whole of Russia and this potentially demonstrates to us the tactics that the opposition may seek to use. Unfortunately, this also reveals their potential tactics to our good old friend Vlad, uh, and it may see an increase uh, in repressive actions over the next year as he attempts to repress the opposition and deny them the momentum they seem to be achieving. Um, ultimately, though, I think I alluded to a point earlier this matters because it's potentially provided the opposition with a narrative and permission structure that enables people to vote for parties or individuals outside of this this closed democratic, pseudo-democratic, I should say, bubble that Russia's created. Um, it may also prove to potential candidates that they can actually win in the face of the state's opposition. Uh, it's it's could likely lead us with a much more dynamic political environment in Russia moving forwards. So now we're going to jump on to a brief how. Um, so what were the tactics of the opposition? Well, the key uh, tactic that Navalny was pushing is the idea of smart voting, uh, what we in the West would just consider, or in the UK particularly, would consider tactical voting, the idea that uh, they set up a website where for uh, I think about a thousand candidates were supported by Navalny's movement and if a voter in a given district logged onto that website, typed in their constituency, they would be told, vote for this person as the single anti-regime candidate that other people will be told to vote for as well. The idea being that you create a localised majority in order to win the seat. Clearly, it's worked. Um, 
and I think also the point here is it's also placed a significant emphasis on smaller localized independent uh, movements rather than a national movement that the Russian regime is much more adept at targeting and pointing out as another or as traitors or as anti-Russians or whatever. Whereas focusing these campaigns on much more local issues allows them to sort of function without directly drawing the ire of the state. Um, however, on a national basis, this may actually go some way to tipping United Russia out of its majority. On the other hand, we've got the, uh, the regime's tactics. We've already addressed some of these issues, particularly the fact they basically own the official opposition parties. But in addition to that, there's been widespread reporting of voter intimidation, uh, direct acts of violence or intimidation towards election monitors and preventing them from gaining access to sites. Where election monitors have managed to gain access, I should point out legal access, you know, a legally and constitutionally enforceable right. Where they've gained that access, uh, they've then reported record levels of ballot stuffing and even the issuing of pre-completed ballot forms to voters. So I think given that context, these quite small wins are actually worthy of note and something we should be paying attention to. So now I guess it's time to wrap it up. And I think, sadly, this raises more questions than it does answers. But Russia is always a fascinating country to look into. Um, mix of cultures that do not you know directly mesh onto the sort of western perspective makes it particularly interesting um and i think we might look forward to a tempestuous year leading up to the parliamentary elections so uh yeah thanks for listening in folks um i hope you feel you're a bit more clued up on the ins and outs of russian regional elections um if you'd like to hear more please like subscribe you know whatever whatever buttons the platform you're using has it really matters um if you got directed to this by twitter please feel free to reply to the tweet let me know all feedback is valid obviously i'm very new at this um and i want to do better for you cheers thank you very much bye